and welcome to the Under Pressure Podcast. I'm Matt Ellis and joining me as he does every week is Jake Barker. How's your week been watching sports so far this week? Uh, yeah, not too bad, Matt. Um, had a good week this week. I've watched a, few, watched a few documentaries, which we'll get into a bit later, but I've also been watching a lot of footy as well this week as it's been uh, Anzac Day weekend this weekend. So I've watched a bit of footy as well. So it was good to get back into uh, the AFL and watching a few games from years gone by so I've, I've had had a good week watching sport how about yourself what have you been watching the, this week um i've been doing a lot of driving this week uh through work i'm just driving around and doing a few bits and pieces and i've been listening to a lot of um sports radio and just um good old sen listening there and just more hearing that sort of stuff this week and um obviously a lot of that uh talk back was about uh, the new Michael Jordan documentary, which we are just about to start talking about. So um, you've done, you've watched, we've both watched uh, both episodes and um, you've got a few key points that you'd like to discuss. Yeah, yeah. big, big episode uh, surrounding the uh, Michael, Michael Jordan documentary. I'm a big fan of basketball, so very keen to talk about this one. For those of you who don't know, there's a new documentary out on Netflix called The Last Dance. About uh, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the 1997-98 season. Uh, in Australia, they're releasing the episodes on a Monday afternoon, about five, so probably Monday night, five, six o'clock. Two new episodes come out, and there's going to be ten episodes uh, throughout the whole series. So the first two have come out last week, and Matt and I have had a, a watch of them, and got a lot to talk about in this uh, first first episode. So yeah. moving, moving in, so yeah, it's the 1997-98 season where they actually allowed unprecedented access to media and cameras and th- those things the like through the, whole, for, through the whole season. And it was very interesting to see what, what, it, what, what we were going to find out about MJ and the Bulls. And throughout these two episodes, actually, it is about MJ, but it's also about the other teammates and the Bulls as an organisation, as themselves as well. So it's not all centred. I mean, it's, a, it's about Michael Jordan, but it's not always centred around him. Kind of goes back back and forth. This the first episode between Michael in college and his uh, first season uh, at the start of, and, and also the start of the 98 season when they're going for their 98th, uh, their sixth championship, I should say. So it sort of goes up and down from different parts of the documentary. Early on in the documentary, I saw that uh, the the majority owner at the time, who was Jerry uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, thought that it may have been the end after the 96-97 season with um, uh, Phil Jackson, who was their current coach, uh, who was out of contract. So himself and the GM, Jerry Krause, were looking at a, looking to start, start a new. Uh, Jerry, Jerry actually wanted Phil to come back, but um, Krause was less, less forgiving with that. So he, he was looking to sign a, a new coach to start a new, a new lead for the Bulls. But I think they didn't want to go in the direction with Phil, but I think their hands were tied and 
because Michael Jordan said he's not playing under any other coach. And when you've got the best player in the world or possibly the best best player ever, I'll put that in quotation marks because I know a lot of people love LeBron. You can also <laughs> put that in one of the best sportsmen ever. Like in that yeah, exactly absolute right. top, top category with sort of your Rogers, your Tom Brady's, uh, your Michael Schumacher's, your... Yeah, he's the pinnacle, top, he's the pinnacle yeah. of a sportsman, isn't he? Always yeah. wanted to win regardless of what was going on, whether they were rebuilding or things like that. Like they just didn't want to, he just didn't want to give in at all. Like he wasn't up for a rebuild. Like he, he played, he played basketball to win and like that's how it should be. And I think that's yeah. a really good attitude to have. Um, yeah. With Jordan, he didn't really have a, a good relationship with the GM, Kraus. He, they came to blows many, many times. It seemed that most uh, of the players didn't actually have that a good relationship. It wasn't just Jordan. It was the entire yeah, Scotty player. as well. And yeah, no, it really was. They um, they just didn't like what the uh, what he was doing, but and he made comments early in the in the night, just after the fifth championship, where he said organizations win the win their championships not just the 15 players michael jordan understood that but kraus was having a dig at at jordan for those comments it's not saying that it's not all about jordan it's not all about the players it's about the whole organization which i can understand but he was really pointing fingers at jordan saying you didn't do this alone kraus is very good at his job jordan's just very good at his job as well so it's it's hard to it's hard to decipher which one you'd really which which one you'd go for there, but I think Jordan took it a bit personally, and obviously the guys, all the players were on his side as well. As I said, Kraus wanted to move Phil Jackson, the current coach, but in the end, uh, as I said, their hands were tied, and they signed him for another year. But as you'll find out uh, a bit later in the episode. They, they ended up tell, they ended up signing Phil Jackson as their coach for the ninety seven ninety eight season, but Phil was told that he was definitely out after that season, regardless of what happens. They could win all eighty two games and win the championship, and he'd be out. It didn't matter what happened. So, which then coined obviously the name of the documentary, the Last Dance. Phil made a document that said the last dance on the front and this was the last time all these guys were going to play together because it was definitely going to be the end for a lot of players at the Bulls after that year. The, the documentary then takes a turn to the 1984 draft where Jordan was obviously one of the, one of the top players in, in the country at the time. Uh, also with another player, Hakeem Olajuwon, very, very good player. Uh, so he was always touted to go number one. Jordan was not touted to go number one ever. It was funny, the majority owner, Reinstorf, had said if if they had had pick one, they would have gone Elijah one as well. So he was always predicted to go to go number one. Jordan wasn't predicted to go one at all. Um, Portland, was also the, the, you go, you go. Yeah, continue. No, right, there was right. also the call about 
that they were very lucky that the draft happened before the the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, usually, because, yeah, usually it happens after. Yeah, and they were very happy because Michael dominated. Yeah, he, he became could, one yeah. of the most popular players in America based on what he achieved in those games. Yeah, exactly right. Hundred percent, and yeah, the Bulls got lucky in that uh, in that aspect, knowing that now knowing that he was going to be an absolute gun um, to get him at to get him at three was pretty lucky because Portland had pick two, but they had another guy, Clyde Drexler, who's a very good player in himself, but obviously is no Michael Jordan. But at the time, they had to they had to put all their their fish all their Eggs in one basket. I don't know why I said fish then. That was weird. Yeah. Um, eggs in one basket with Clyde Drexler because he was a very good player and he was at the same position as what Michael was at shooting guard. So they couldn't go in with two guys who were going to have the same minutes and play at the same position. Yeah. So they decided to go with a guy called Sam Bowie instead. So I bet you they're, they're probably regretting that a little bit now, but obviously you don't know. You don't know then, do you? Like, no one knows how good people are going to be. You could have the 60th pick be the best player in the draft. Like, you just don't know. But, yeah, so then Jordan ended up going three to the Bulls in the 1984 draft, and that uh, leads into the first his first season where, obviously, he dominated. I wish I, I, wish I definitely wish I got to see uh, some, of this, some, of this, some of these plays that he, he would come up with in all these games. Like, it was... Ridiculous. We in the documentary only see parts of games and shots that he's taking, and and it it's, it just astounds me how good he he was in his very first year. He had a couple of years at college, and then his coach told him to go straight in. So he was twenty one at the time, so he wasn't uh, eighteen, but he he had had a couple of years to get ready in college, and then stepped straight in as a twenty one year old, and was great from the get-go really and i think i messaged messaged you during it and we've obviously both grown up during the lebron and kobe eras and i i just i was amazed on how good michael was in those days like just watching he in my mind and i'm probably going to get a lot of flack over this over um through social media um He's clearly the greatest of all time. I hadn't seen much Michael footage. I knew he was one of the best, if not the best. But watching some of these plays, even as a young player early in his career, there's no doubt that he is the greatest basketballer to ever play the game in my mind. I mean, I, again, I, I, I agree. I tend to agree with you there. Like, not a lot of people see, not a lot of people see his play at all. They obviously, as you said, we lived in the Kobe and LeBron era where we watched them play day after day after day. But obviously, we're not born back then. We didn't watch a whole lot of Michael Jordan. But watching this gave a real insight to the way he played and the way he went about playing basketball. And it was not saying, I'm not saying that LeBron and Kobe didn't do that. I just, looking at this footage, it's just, it's, it's, greatness right in front of my eyes like he's I and when you look, how. and when you look at it and remember that um 
the Bulls were an organisation that were probably on the brink of collapse. Their stadiums were two-thirds empty. And in Michael's first season, they were going into almost every game selling out. Like, Correct. And it, he got yeah, it, the city back alive. Makes Yeah, makes a difference. Even um, as a bit of a spoiler, Barack Obama makes an appearance in here in the uh, documentary and he just talks about the way that Chicago used to be before Michael Jordan came along to that city. They're, they're, they were known for their, their, the grit and the grind and hardworking, hardworking town and works, work a lot. And I think Jordan just turned that around and made, the, made it a more vibrant city. Everyone was so keen to go, watch the Bulls because Michael Jordan was playing and there was so much hype over, not that they would have used that word back then, but there was so much hype over him. And it was, would have been a great time to be, to be living in Chicago when he got drafted. It was, it was amazing. There's a couple of things during that first year that he found actually a bit, a bit disturbing. He was, uh, they were on a road game. I was staying in a hotel and Michael Michael Jordan walked to one of the guy's rooms. Don't think he mentions who it actually was, but he knocked on the door and then he heard people inside go, quiet, 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 quiet. And then a voice from inside goes, who is it? And he goes, oh, MJ. So they go, oh, okay, cool. And then they, they open the door and he walks in. There's, he talked about that there was lines of coke just lying on one side and then there was, girls in one corner and then you had your weed smokers as well and like it was crazy and jordan thought to himself wow if i get caught in here i'm just as culpable as these guys so he just took himself and left and just showed the professionalism that you you didn't see a lot back then so it was really when you think that he's a first year player like put it in a context of a footy club. That's a first year player watching his leadership group, essentially breaking the rules. Like that is incredible and saying, actually, I don't want to be part of this. That is commendable to the highest yeah. level. Yeah. It's outstanding at the, the amount, the maturity and the level and that level that he went to as a first year player, like you said, so you could tell that he was something special after that, for sure, like taking it upon himself and going into that, like he didn't go out partying, go to clubs or anything like that. He was just living like he was still in college, really, and just hanging out, doing all the normal things and not getting into trouble or not that anyone found out back then, but like not doing the, those types of things that would get you in trouble these days, obviously. Um, he then, obviously, with all his good, good turns and things like that, playing great basketball, he ended up winning Rookie of the Year that year over Hakeem Olajuwon. So he won that Rookie of the Year award. It's a voting system. I don't know how it worked back then, but I think it was pretty clear to everyone that MJ was something special. And there was it was hands down on who was going to win that award that year. It was just easy. Easy decision. Then towards the end of this first episode, they sort of, as I mentioned a bit earlier, they went into the start of the 97-98 season. So this is 
the season that the documentary centered around and they had coined this episode and documentary the last dance as it was um the last time that all these guys would be together and they they all knew it was and this was this was the last the last dance essentially and they they had to get it done this season and they were going to enjoy every moment of it that year so then the episode cut out straight after that sort of leaving you wanting more lucky there was a uh, bit of a lucky there was a bit of a, a clip and the next episode was about to start so that was that was good as well so if i move into the the second episode of the uh the documentary this the beginning of this one sort of starts off with more of a look at scotty pippen and and him and him getting into the balls as well so it's it's it, it's a really good insight too, because I didn't know much about Scotty Pippen back in the day. I always heard that he was the number two, he was MJ's sidekick and, and, and things like that. But you never really heard how how amazing he was. He was he was a ripping player. He got drafted in nineteen eighty seven at pick five and for years and years he was second in the ball scoring, rebounds, minutes played, obviously. First was MJ, but he was first in assists and steals. And the two biggest, the two biggest things that shocked me at the very beginning of this episode, and I'm sure shocked you, shocked you as well, Matt, was that he was sixth in the Bulls' salary. And then the big one, his salary was ranked 122nd in the NBA, and he was arguably the second best player in the NBA. And it was when I heard that, I it, that just blew my mind. I could not believe yeah. that. Yeah, it like, was. That was probably for me the the biggest takeaway I took from the the whole documentary. Of you've got obviously when you've got the best two players in the competition, you'd expect them to be one and two on the salary list, or or maybe if they're both in the same team, maybe both in the top 10, very close together, like seventh or sixth. Just yeah, correct. Just a bit of compensating. Let's keep the best together, but not one and 122. That's yeah. not I'm... right. And obviously, Scotty did sort of explain the motivation for signing the contract when it was offered. And yeah, correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. from a motivational point of view, yeah, family cannot question those motives. Um, no, but, definitely not. Um, just sucked for him that he didn't have a clause in it of renegotiating based on future performances or whatever, and that was would have probably been ahead of the time in those sort of contracts. But yeah, just that's, that's that very he true. He just couldn't go. I need the money, so I've got the security long term for my family. It's just um, yeah. sad that he couldn't get compensated in the back end of that contract to what he deserved. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, yeah, he, as you said, he wanted he wanted security, and if he signs, that money is guaranteed. Doesn't matter when you get it, but that money is going to be guaranteed. And he's he signed a seven a seven year deal. Like, that's that's not common these days to sign 
on that long of a deal. A seven-year deal worth 18 million, but he, in the forefront of his mind was his family and taking care of his mother, his father, his family, rather than earning as much money as, as he could as the second best player in the NBA at that time. He was more worried about the people around him rather than himself. And that's just selfless, if you ask me. It, to, be, to begin your career and have that kind of maturity as well. Is, as well. And, it, and you can see why it was such a good fit with, with Michael as well. He, um, so, so we sort of see him take the selfless opportunity early on in his career, but you then see what is arguably a very selfish move in the 90, in that final dance year where he could have got surgery at the completion of the previous season, but waited till um, the very end of the off season going into the season to get that surgery. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Was that the right move? I I don't personally, I, you'd you'd want to be injury free. And I think that's, that should be the number one goal in people's mind. in those players' minds, I think, to, to hold an injury on purpose, essentially, isn't really doing yourself or the team any favours, really. But at this point, he'd become a little bit more selfish than what he had begin, he begun his career as. So it, it, was a bit, it was a bit difficult for him at the time trying to, trying to work that out. MJ said that he, he believed that Scotty made the wrong decision. Because he got injured in the previous year's NBA finals or Eastern Conference finals, I should say. And that was, that would have been six months ago. He could have had that, he could have had that surgery six months prior and be ready to go fully fit for the next season. However, you then had Phil Jackson who supported it. Yeah. Or was not, like he understood the reason, reasoning for it. And he, a lot of appreciation I got from actually um, Phil Jackson in it is arguably one of the best coaches of any sport in the game. Like the ability to back in his players, even when he doesn't necessarily do himself good things. Yeah. He was, he was a fantastic coach, Phil Jackson. One. Yeah. As you said, one of the best. And for Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time to only want to play under you, you've got to be doing something right. And I think, it would have been great to see him coach longer at the Bulls. They could have done so much more, but they they had to put a halt to it for for some reason. Imagine if, if they they kept going. They, Scotty may have signed signed for longer. MJ played a few more years, even though he did. But <laughs> I'm sure they'll get into that at a later point. But yeah, I, at the start of this season, it was, it was just a very important season and. Scotty knew that this time was going to come as well. After winning it the previous year, surely he knew that there was a lot going to be going on with Jackson's contract and Jordan being promised 33 mil for that year, that upcoming year, were they going to push him out? They wanted to try and squeeze Pippen out as well. They didn't, they didn't mind looking for a trade for him, which obviously annoyed him as well. And that's why that became a bit of a 
a bit of a strained relationship between him and the management as well. So coming into that second seat or coming to that season, the, the Bulls were, they had four or five straight losses to, to start the start that season and they weren't looking good at no. all. Without, without Scotty, they didn't, they just didn't have anyone to, besides probably it, Dennis Rodman, who's a bit I, of a, bit of a strange character, but they pretty much just had him as well to help him out. Memory, help I think out. it was Steve Kerr that said it. It is when you've got a team like they did in 1998 with the Bulls, 1997, 98 with the Bulls, where you lose one of your best play, one of your good, any player in that squad, it's like losing five players because you are so good, so skilled and so instinct with each other that one change feels like the loss of five players. So it was a very yeah, interesting um, way to describe how much, how much they valued um, Scotty in the team. Yeah, completely agree. They, they almost valued, I would say, MJ with the same value as Scotty Pippen as well. Like, yeah. That was would the you, yeah, would you, you get completely yeah. off watching. Yeah, correct. They they worked better. They worked better as a team. Plus, having Rodman there as the the muscle and the rebounding, they had those two just worked so much better when they're on the court together. Which why which is why I think it annoyed MJ so much that he just didn't get the surgery done at the end of that NBA Finals. So I think that's why it would have annoyed him more than more than. Uh, more than it may have annoyed someone like Phil Jackson, like you mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that like it was such a fascinating storyline, and ultimately, Scotty did get um, more money later on in his career. While he did miss out in that period, he actually went on to earn more money than Michael Jordan across his career. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Not a lot of people know that, but... No, and he also, he a, a lot of people would also not know, is he actually returned to the Bulls for, I think, the 2003, four season? Yeah, yeah correct. That's yeah, it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had, it was a bit more of a mentoring role rather than playing that lead, but it was more towards the end of his career. But, yeah, he came back and played that mentoring role to a lot of the young guys, which was good. It was good to see him back in the, uh, the Bulls' colours after... After playing for the Houston Rockets, I believe, for a season, and then um, also Portland for for a time as well. So, yeah, he did end up having a good career and earning more money than MJ as well, as you said. So, he got his dues when that uh, when they came around. So, after so moving moving on through the the, the second episode, they went back again, it sort of flickers around the, the episodes that go, might go from the 97, 98 season to MJ's a kid to MJ's second season to college. Like they, they go up and down through, but they do it in a way that makes it flow really well. And I thought that was really good the way they did that. Like it wasn't just 97, 98 season, the whole episode, like they just sort of went back and forth with things, but sort of kept you in the loop about everything. It was it was really good the way they did it. And I, I really enjoyed that as well. But so in this episode they talked a, a bit about MJ when he was a kid. He was one of five. 
it's funny they they his parents were like five five foot ten both of them and he ended up being oh I'm gonna show my knowledge here oh, I'm gonna go with six four but that's 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 just a guess so if, yeah him and his uh, him and his older brother Larry were very competitive at home they were they'd always get in fights but MJ always now always says that if he didn't have those fights it wouldn't have made him have the grit and determination that he that he has to want to do bet to want to do fantastic he he always fought with his brother for his dad's attention and i'm sure the uh comment that everyone knows most most mj fans knows is that he was he was cut from his high school basketball team that was the one thing that that a lot of people know about michael jordan that he was cut from his high school basketball team went home had a bit of a sook about it and then his mum said, do you want to do this? And he, and he went on with it and he hated being told that he couldn't do something and he'd prove it, he'd do it until he could prove them wrong. So, and at the end of the five year, five years at high school, they, he ended up being what they thought was the best player in America going to college. So it just goes to show if you've got the guts and determination to do something in life, you go out and do it. You can get it done. Just got to put in a lot of work to get to that point. And MJ certainly showed that, which is why I think he's one of the, or the greatest player of all time. Yeah, they're, absolutely. Could not agree more. They then sort of flowed back, not all the way, but they flowed into his second season, which was a, which was a very big season for all the wrong reasons for, for Jordan to start off the season. Early on in the year, he actually went down on his foot in a, in a game early in the season and had a clear break through the middle of his foot. Uh, this was a lot different for MJ as he'd actually never really been hurt significantly before. So he, he didn't know how to sort of deal with all these, all these different things about injuries and what to do. So... They obviously got it checked out, blah, blah, blah. The area in which he actually broke his foot tends not to heal very quickly at all, which is what the doctor said to him. And they were very, very wary of bringing him back too early. If Michael had started playing, he got it, he got it right, went back to his college, sort of left the bulls just to get to get right, went back to college, started working out a bit more and built and built and built and built up by playing 1v1s, 3v3s, all the way up to 5v5s. And then he went back to the Bulls. Doctor said if Michael played, there would be a 10% chance that he would get hurt again and 90% chance that he wouldn't. But then the majority owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, said, what happens if that 10% kicks in? Doctor goes, he will never play basketball again. And MJ just didn't see it like that. He, he thought everyone was just thinking negative. He was like, but it's 90% chance I'm not going to get hurt. They were too worried about looking at the negative side. And they, they and went was, on to say if you had a, a really bad headache and you had uh, 10 tablets in a jar and nine tablets that would make you better and one that would instantly kill you, would you still take a tablet knowing that 
there is a 10% chance that you will die. And he said, depends how bad the headache is. Yeah. And that, and that just shows, <laughs> shows the kind of character that Jordan was. He, he'd be willing to take the chance to, to play basketball and win. So himself and Jerry came up with a, a, a time restriction, essentially. So he was only allowed to play seven minutes per half. And as you know, seven minutes per half isn't even a whole quarter. So it's not a lot of playing time at all. So you're looking at 14 minutes out of a possible 48, which is not, not a lot at all. So they were looking, they were losing a few games, but then they realised to put him in, they could use his 14 minutes significantly by putting in, using them at the right time in games when they really needed a boost, get him in there, score a few buckets, and then come back out. And they'd be logging his time. Jerry Krause, the GM, would be like on a timer, counting how many minutes that he, he'd be playing. And, it was, and it, was cr- it was crazy how what lengths they were going to to make sure that he was only playing 14 minutes per game. And uh, I just think it's worth reminding people, this is a player in his second year. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. And they right. were they were he was already clearly the best on the team and being managed in the way that he is the best. But he's only a second year player. This is phenomenal, unheard of sort of um being regarded that highly as a second year player. Yeah, it just it just shows how much he was their franchise. I'm pretty sure that's what they said during this episode. He was their franchise and they did not want this to be a sour ending for Michael Jordan playing one and a bit seasons and his career being over. They didn't want that. But Jordan had the guts and determination to get in there and, and, and play as much as he could to try and get the team over, over the line and into, into the playoffs. I remember one game they mentioned on the, in the documentary they're playing the paces and he was having a phenomenal game, making shots from all over the, all over the place. And they have the ball. They have the ball with 31 seconds left. The opposition take a timeout. They're, the opposition are up one, the paces. But the time, the time was up. Jordan had to come out of the game. And I, and I heard, and I remember this distinctively. He was like, this is when I lost trust in, in the office, in Jerry Krause. And he... he after this, he didn't trust them again because they didn't send him back in. He was, he was a win-at-all-cost game. They were, they were looking to make the lottery, try and get a, a high pick, but Jordan wasn't about that. He wanted, to, he wanted the win. He thought that's what you play basketball for. You're there to get wins. And I think... I, I believe that's the right attitude in, in, in any sport, really. You go out there to win. But they didn't do that. They sent in another guy. And funnily enough, this guy, John Paxson, ended up chucking in the game winner with 10 seconds left. They went down the other end. They missed. And the Bulls won the game. But it was, it was hilarious the way they... How, how it ended up. But that's really... And their prize for winning that game is playing the Boston Celtics. The all-conquering Boston Celtics in the playoffs. Yeah, likes of Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, 
Bill Walton. They had they had it all. They were tall. They could shoot. They could rebound, and it was a, a phenomenal team. One of the best. I think Larry's down as saying that was it was probably the best Celtics team that he was a part of in yeah. his in his time in, in his time with them. And funnily enough, the Bulls ended only only ended up with. 30 wins for that whole year, but snuck into the eighth position to play to play the Celtics, who won 65 plus games, which is unheard of these and days. Then as well. he, and then you hear of Larry Bird, who was like, "Well, this kid is seriously good." Yeah, correct. Seriously, seriously good. He 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 knew how good he was going to be from from all all three games that they played because it was. Best of best of five, I believe, back then in the first round, and going into the playoff series, they didn't. They obviously knew he was really good, and he was off his limits, limited restrictions now, his time restrictions. And in the first game, he went ballistic. He he scored forty nine, forty nine points playoff, in game one in a, in a playoff game. In a playoff game. This is, yeah, this is playoff basketball. This is serious, serious basketball with some seriously good players and knocked down 49 points, but ended up losing game one as well. Moving on to game two, he scores a still now record in a playoff game, 63 points. Hit a free throw to tie it at the very end of the game. So they send it into overtime, but... The Celtics ended that ended up pulling that one out, and the Bulls ended up going down 2-0, and he scored 63. It was a phenomenal game. That record still holds now. And then game three, he didn't do too much, but the series was well, well and truly over. He scored he scored a merely 19 points, but the series was series was done 3-0, and it was a very quick, quick finish after that. Towards the end of the towards the end of the episode, they sort of they sort of get into a bit of the Kraus and Pippen feud that went on. As I said earlier, they tried to trade Pippen. They wouldn't pay him, tarnish their relationship, and Pippen no longer had respect for him at all. Just yelling obscenities at him in front of the team and just disrespecting disrespecting him in any way possible. It was, it was, it was at a point that some of the guys had to tell him to to calm down. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And on uh, ESPN back in nineteen ninety seven, on the twenty fourth of November, this is what it finished as. The guy, the guy sitting on the news desk, he goes, "Scotty Pippen from the Chicago Bulls demanded a trade before the ninety seven ninety eight season," and that's. That's where the that's where the episode ends, so it leaves you leaves you on a leaves you a bit of on a cliffhanger. But obviously we know, obviously we know things. But I won't I won't spoil spoil anything for those who don't know. Uh, the episodes will be out on on Monday night, so I'm sure they'll finish off that end of the story. They always got to leave you on a bit of a bit of a cliffhanger, so it it draws you into the next episode. So three and four will be out. Uh, Monday night, uh, the same as uh, this podcast will be out. So you'll be able to listen to this and go straight into episodes three and four. So 
those are the first two episodes. Fun, fun and frivolity in those. Lots going on. It was amazing to watch. I think I'll be, once I get through all 10, I'll have to sit down and just watch them straight out in a row. So it just sort of ties together nicely, I think. I've seen a, a lot of, yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, I was, you, you go, you go. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say that there's so many people watching it as well. Everyone loves it, loves MJ, and a lot of a lot of NBA players are actually watching and tweeting and seeing how they they didn't know this sort of stuff about MJ, and as well as Scotty as well. They didn't know all the things Scotty Pippen went through, and that was just these first two episodes. It was it was hilarious. So there was a few funny tweets in there that are a good read if you wanna if you wanna have a bit of a laugh. So check out some NBA players and read their tweet, tweets regarding the documentary. But yeah, if this is the first two episodes, this is gonna be an absolute crazy ride, I think. And I'm so keen for three and four, plus the rest as well. And I don't know about Matt, but I'm, I'm keen to talk much more about the uh, Michael Jordan documentary as well. So love, yeah. love, the, love my here. basketball. So. I can't wait to talk about the next the next couple of episodes coming up. So, Jeff, any anything else you want to mention? Um, I, I was I I was pretty much just about to say, just like um, the newsreader in Chicago, we're going to leave you a bit on a a bit engaged, wanting to find out what we're doing next week, where we're going to talk about a few other um, documentaries that have caught our eye over the the last few weeks. Um, there've actually been a lot of really good high quality um, sporting documentaries that have come out and hopefully um, more will be coming. So on that note, we'll see you next week where we're going to talk about a whole lot more sporting documentaries. Yeah, it should be a whole lot of fun next episode. Also, don't forget where you can listen to the podcast. We've got it up on Apple Podcasts. Haven't quite got it onto Google Podcasts for Android just yet. We are still currently working on that, and we'll be getting that up very soon. It is, however, available on the app Podbean, which you can access on the iTunes Store and also the Google Play Store. And just as an added platform, we might look into getting it onto Spotify as well. So on behalf of Matt and myself, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Under Pressure podcast. We shall see you on the next.